Blog Talk Radio. After the death of Solomon, God divided the kingdom of Israel into two houses. There were ten tribes in the northern kingdom known as the Lost Tribes of Israel. They were cast out into the world because of their great sin against God. However, God promised in the last days He would gather these lost tribes back to Israel before the return of our Lord. Unknowingly, some of the churches made up of these lost tribes knows the house of Ephraim. God is now calling them to prepare to come back home to the land He gave our fathers. The call to prepare has been sounded. Welcome, Ephraimites, and Shalom. This is your host, Mark Reinbold, and this is the House of Ephraim show today. And we do have with us today, from Mount Carmel, Illinois, Sister Donna Deckard. But first, a word from our announcers. And now, from Cradle of Hope, are some important announcements for you. This month, from Cradle of Hope, is a must-have gift offer, the transition of the church. God has transitioned the church since the days of the book of Acts. Don't miss out on this last and greatest move of God. Jesus Christ is returning for a church full of power and glory. This transition will bring the church forward. Send a gift of $25 or more. Call today and get free shipping if you ask for the Transition of Church gift offer. Call 618-262-2810 or go online at jewishprofit.com. Send a gift of $25 or more and ask for the Transition of the Church gift offer. Hey, welcome back in the show. It's Mark Reinbold. Got a couple announcements to make before we get going here with our great, great show we have in, in store for you. I just want to remind everyone that we do have a website, www.jewishprofit.com. That's www.jewishprofit.com. And for all you uh, new people out there, maybe the first time that you've been on, please check that website out. You're going to find out who we are, and you're going to get a hold of a lot of material that you've never seen before. And you want to check that material out because you're going to start to learn the Word of God. And I'm telling you what, what a great opportunity that is. We also have a quarterly coming up here, and you can get more information about that by clicking on the itinerary button on the front page there in the upper left-hand corner and find out what the quarterly and where it's going to be. It's going to be over in Fairfield, Illinois, out what we call lovingly the Corn Patch. And you can be a part of that and begin to learn the material straight from the throne room of God and I'm telling you what, that is a great opportunity, folks. So grab a hold of this and begin to prepare and to plan and get yourself down here and find out for yourself what's going on, and you can become part of this last day move of God, the House of Ephraim. And again, you can get all that information out at the website, www.jewishprophet.com. We also have fellowships available online. So, you know, if you're out there and you don't have a local fellowship or, or you want to begin to learn about the material and begin to plug in with the material. Not only do we have this blog every day, but we also have fellowships available online. That's via Ustream.tv, and we have one on Friday night. I teach one myself Friday night. You can become part of that. There's also a Wednesday midweek service, and we teach only the prophet's material so that you're assured of learning the right material at the right time. What an opportunity. Again, that all is. So, again, if you don't already have a fellowship in your area or you just are interested in learning more about what's going on, please consider joining up with that. And you can get more information just by emailing us at cradle at jewishprofit.com. That's cradle at jewishprofit.com. And just say, hey, I'd like to sign up for that Shabbat service that Mark was talking about and certainly love to get you hooked up. If you want to do it just by the telephone, we can do that also. And you can give the office a call. 618-262-2810 and find out more about that also. Like I said earlier, we do have with us from Mount Carmel, Illinois, Sister Donna Deck. I'm going to take a moment and talk about a few things here that is out on the tape table. I'm going to start with my favorite. A lot of people come up to me and they say, what would you recommend? And at first I was a little backwards about it. I was like, well, I don't know what you would like. And then I began to think about it, and I thought, what would I recommend? And I would recommend the purpose of temptation, because it changed my life. 
You know, if it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little things in our lives that happens over and over and over and over again. And you think, I got it conquered this time. And about six months later, there that is, that ugly thing again. And you're going, you're out of my life. (laughs) You've got to overcome. And if you can overcome one thing, then you can apply those same principles and that same energy and fortitude and what you've learned to the next thing. And God can start cleaning things up in your life and you can be used. So the purpose of temptation is my favorite series. Because if you can't get over the things in your life, you can buy everything else on the tape table and you're still going to be stuck in the same rut, spinning your wheels. The next thing here I have is believe the prophets and live. This series is based on the scripture of believe the prophets and prosper. Sometimes whenever the prophet tells us things, we don't like it. And it hurts. And we go and we have our feelings hurt. You know, as women, we have feelings. And we get emotional. And he always hates it when I start to bawl. He's like, don't cry. I'm like, I'm trying not to. But it hurt. But you know what? God's going, get it cleaned up. Get it out of your life. And And he's right. He's right. You know, it's just like this plague that's coming. When Tom first told me about the vision that he had about that and about millions upon millions upon millions of people going to die in the plague, I'm like, oh, dear God, that's horrible. I mean, I understand we're in line for judgment here. I understand that. But God, does it have to be that many people? Does it have to be 50, 60, 70% of the people who get this die? God's so merciful. You know what he said? He goes, it's my mercy. It's my mercy. And I'm like, people are going to die and it's your mercy. And it doesn't make sense. But he goes, it's my mercy. He says, you know why? He says, if they won't believe the prophet to prepare and to do what I've told the prophet needs to be done, to make it through this plague, they won't believe the prophet whenever the mark of the beast comes. And he said, he said, if they die in the plague, they've only lost their fleshly lives. They take the mark of the beast, they'll burn for eternity. He said, it's my mercy. And I'm going, dear God, thank you. Thank you for God's mercy and His wisdom. But we need to listen to the prophet. Because God tells the prophet the secrets. He doesn't tell the pastors. He doesn't tell the evangelists. He doesn't tell the teachers. He doesn't tell the apostles. He tells the prophets. And the prophets know the secrets of God. And if When God gives them the secrets, he gives them the the solution. And we don't always want to listen to it. But if you'll believe the prophets, you'll live. The other thing I have that I brought up here is called the bond of the covenant. God made a covenant with us. We broke it. And God said, I will drive you back to the bond of the covenant. And that's the reason why we're all going through what we're going through. It's because God is going to demand that we keep our end of the bargain. You know, we we like to claim we have all the promises and all the prosperity and all the things in our lives that God's Word promised in the covenant. But what we forget is we have our part to do. And it's real easy for us to slough that off and say, oh, that's not for today. We don't have to do that. And God's going to drive us back with the bond of the covenant. The last thing I want to bring, bring up here is a book, and this was written several years ago. In fact, long enough ago that he doesn't have his beard. <laughs> a lot of people ask me about this. They go, is that him? I'm like, yes, that's him without the beard. Order and authority of the church and the family. 
this book will change your life. Because God set up an order. And if we get out of that order, the best way I know to explain it is an umbrella in the rain. As long as you are in the order that God set, you have his umbrella of protection over you. But when you get out of order, you're stepping out from underneath that umbrella and it's going to rain on you. And you're going to get wet and then you're going to start whining because you're cold and you're hurting and whatever is going to happen. And God says, if you just get back in order, back underneath that umbrella, you'll stay dry and I'll protect you. But you've got to have God's order. Imagine if you had to go to one of your friends and tell them to be submissive. And then finally, she said, why is it that every time someone comes to me with a word from the Lord, it's to be submissive? I said, maybe God's trying to tell you something. And she goes, I don't think I need to. He's the one who needs to change, and I'm not going to be submissive until he changes. And I said, please, the prophet sent me. I don't care. He's the one who's going to change. And that's where it was left. I was grieved in my spirit because I knew she had made the wrong choice. I didn't know how badly a choice she'd made. That was probably eight years ago. At this point, she has five children. Those children are at odds with one another. The family was very very close-knit. And now, they can't even have a family get-together because those children are at odds with one another. And she came to me and she was bawling and she was crying and she says, oh, I'm just praying that God will speak to my kids to get along so that at least as a mom, I can have men have a meal and have all my children there. My heart went out to her. I was like, yes, that would be wonderful. And when I was getting ready to prepare this for today, God says, you know that situation? He says, do you know the reason her children are at odds? It's because way back there, eight years ago, whenever I told her to get submissive, she said no. And he said, it opened the door. And Satan came in, and he has destroyed that woman's family. And he said, if she would get submissive today, I could begin to put the family back together. But the damage is there. The damage has been done. There's a price to pay when we make the wrong decisions. There's a price to pay when we make the wrong decision. We can be forgiven, but there's a penalty. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. Now, Joshua Joshua has been put in charge because Moses is gone, and he's in charge of all these people, all the Israelite people. Now, I can only imagine the mammoth job that this man had. And, he's, and he's, he's, he's given them this speech, and he's giving them a decision. Verse 14, chapter 24, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. So evidently, he's telling the people, hey, your fathers and your mothers served the wrong God, and you're going to have to change. Do you think that was going to be easy? That meant what they were used to doing, what had traditionally been done in their families, was going to have to change. And that wasn't an easy task. In 15 it says, if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, or as for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. Obviously, there was lots of choices. There was lots of choices. We have lots of choices today. You know, there's, there's the Islam religion. There's Buddha. There's Christianity. And within Christianity, there's the Baptist, the Methodist, the Catholic. There's all these choices that we have. But choose you this day who you're going to serve. And Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Today is the day to choose. Turn to 1 Kings, chapter 18. Now, we have Elijah here. It seems that the Israelites once again had a little bit of a problem as to who they were going to serve. Sounds kind of like us today. Uh, 18, verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long will you halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. How long will you halt between two opinions? You all know that he who wavers, you all know that scripture? God said, make a decision. Get on one side or the other. Quit straddling the fence. Give me something to work with. Once you make the decision, if you're wrong, I'll work with you and try to get you back over on the right side. But as long as you're standing there in indecision, God's going, come on, just make a decision, just make a decision. And you're sitting there going, God, tell me what to do, tell me what to do, tell me what to do, tell me what to do. And God says, decide. I told you what to do. Choose. Choose this day. Make a decision. And then I'll tell you whether you were right or wrong. I'll show you. And if you're wrong, I'll pull up those heartstrings and make, and you'll get on the right side then if you choose. Go down to verse 39. Now, if you remember in this, in this particular event, Elijah had, had the, the sacrifice brought in and all the water was dumped on it. And, and he, he let the, the prophets of Baal spend all day trying to get their sacrifice to burn. And then after he dumped all that water on, which was 12 barrels of water, he had really drenched that thing. God came down, licked up the water, the sacrifice, and everything. And at the end of that, it says, uh, verse 39, When all the people saw it, remember they didn't answer him first, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Today is a day of decision. This weekend is a time of decision. You're going to hear tonight about preparation for this plague. You're going to find out how the vision came. You're going to find out the solution that God gave the prophet. And you are going to have to make a decision. Will I or won't I listen to the prophet? That decision will have consequences. Choose you this day who you will serve. Those decisions are important. That's not the only decision. We're women, right? And you guys are beautiful, too. Why were we created? I remember when the kids were little, and I was talking to them about creation and why they were created. And I said, you know, you were created to worship God. You were created to worship God. And we ladies love to worship the Lord. We love to. And God likes to watch us worship the Lord. And it's special. But God has a plan for your life. And He wants you to fulfill that plan. Why were you created? I always go back to the beginning. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Why were we created? Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. 
I will make him a helpmate for him. Over in verse 20, And Adam gave names to all the cattle of the fowl in the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, it was not found a helpmate for him. Now, God had made Adam, and he said, you know, Adam needs a helpmate. And so he said, okay. And he created all the animals. And, he, and Adam named them all. Adam was a pretty smart man, wasn't he? You know, sometimes, have you ever been in a situation with a bunch of women, and it gets to be husband bashing time? Oh, my man, he's so dumb. No, Adam was smart. God created him and gave him a mind, and he was able to name every one of those animals. And God said, but there's not a suitable helpmate for Adam. And he created Eve. What is a helpmate? A companion suitable for helping. Are you a companion? How many are married? Okay, let's go the other way. How many are not married? Okay, how many, how many of you that's not married are wanting to get married? Okay, I'm talking to the right group today. <laughs> a companion. You know, it, it was put in us to want to make. And, and I know there are times and opportunities when there are women who don't get married, and I don't want to get into that, and that's between you and God. But the majority, we all, we all want a mate. We all want a husband. A helpmate is a helper who's suitable, adaptable, complementary for him. You should complement your mate. You should make your mate look good. I learned a long time ago, when you get in those situations where, like I said, they get into husband bashing, shut them down. Look at them and say, my husband's not like that. He's the most wonderful man. Shut him down. You make your man look good. Whether he's all that wonderful or not, make him look good. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing. That's our job, ladies. We like to make things look good. And I want to tell you something. I was telling the pastor's wife, and I've enjoyed meeting her, I like your bathroom. It is so feminine and so beautiful and so efficient. <laughs> That's what we do. We make things look good. And, you know, who would think you could make a bathroom look good? <laughs> but you have. There are three things that make up a marriage. And when we counsel people who are going to get married and people who are trying to get unmarried, we always tell them there's three things. Sex. Money and communication. You've got to have all three, and they've got to be in working order, or you've got a problem in your marriage. You, you don't have one. You just have two. You're, you're okay. To get down to just one or none, I'm sorry, honey, but you, your marriage is on the rocks. As they say. You need to get some help, but it takes all three. I'm going to speak briefly about the sexual relationship. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 7. You know, God put a drive in us. He told Adam and Eve, he said, you multiply and replenish the earth. And so since he put that drive there, he also, or since he told them to replenish it, he, he gave them a drive, a sexual drive. And the sexual drive you have is God-given. And God has, God has that placed in you, and that needs to be taken care of. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3 and 4. Let, not the man or let the man render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise unto the wife 
the wife and to the husband. The wife has not power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband has not power over his body, but the wife. Defraud not one another, except it be by consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Excuse me. You are to give yourself to your mate. You are to satisfy and fulfill your mate. Likewise, your mate should give himself to you, satisfy and fulfill you. When that's in working order in your life, if the other two items, the money or the communication, it really won't matter because that sexual drive is taken care of. And when we counsel people, we tell them, hey, take care of business. You need to take care of your mate, and your mate needs to take care of you. And I realize sometimes it just doesn't work that way. But begin to pray and seek God that your mate will take care of you. And begin to ask God for ways to take care of your mate. Finances. Turn with to me to Amos, chapter 3. I like to let my fingers do the walking, and it's not through the yellow pages. <laughs> and sometimes these things play, I think they, they play musical chairs in my Bible. And I'm like, okay, where's Amos? Here he is. <laughs> Thank you. Amos chapter 3, verse 3. When it comes to finances, you're a team. You've got to work together to make ends meet. Amos 3, 3. Can two walk together except they agree? When it comes to finances, you guys are going to have to be in agreement. If your husband said, no, we can't afford that new couch, and you said, but that couch we've had for 20 years, and we got company coming, and I'm sick of it, and I want a new couch, you're not in agreement. You're not in agreement. You need to walk together in the finances, and you need to work with one another. If your husband says you can't afford a new couch, Put a slip cover over it. And if you can't afford a slip cover, go to a rummage sale and get a sheet. Be frugal. It can be done. When I was first married, my whole house was decorated and furnished with yard sale stuff. And I have this one lamp that I refuse to get rid of. Five dollars at a rowing sale. <laughs> Tom says, will you get rid of that thing? Oh, no, I can't get rid of it. I like it. He says, but it's, it's getting old. I'm like, but I like it. And it was my prize. I mean, it was the most beautiful lamp. I, and I was so proud of it. And I said, I just can't get rid of it yet. Maybe I will someday. <laughs> Communication. Oh, gals. Sometimes we are chatty Cathy's. And sometimes we talk so much that our husbands just tune us out. You know why? Husbands are headlines. They are headlines. They look at the headlines. And if it sounds interesting, they may speed read down the first sentence of each paragraph. We are detail people. And we want to tell you every little detail as to why what I'm getting ready to say is going to be important and exactly what happened word for word. And then maybe we'll get to the point of what we really want to tell him. But by then, he's shut us off. How many times have you asked your husband a question, and when you got done 15 minutes later, he's going, what is it you really want? And you're going, I spent 15 minutes explaining to you what I want, and you don't know what I want? Break it down for him. Put it in outline form. Okay? They don't, they don't want the details. 
And then, once you put it in outline form, if they have questions, you can fill in some details for them. They just want the outline form. We got to learn how to communicate with our mate. You, there's an art to communication. You have to learn to communicate. If those lines of communication break in your marriage, then the money and the sex is going to have a problem. Because if you can't communicate to your mate your sexual needs, and if you can't communicate to your mate the needs financially, you've got a problem, don't you? You've got to learn to communicate. That's the three things that make a marriage. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Appointed times and choices. Chapter 4, verse 22. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Don't lie to your mate. Speak truth to your mate. I can't tell you how many times I've heard women say, Well, I did such and such, but don't tell my husband because I'm not going to tell him. Wrong. Don't lie to your mate. Don't lie to him. You know why? Order and authority again. Guess who knows you lied? God does. God does. I used to tell my kids all the time, you disobey me. I may not see you, but God sees you. God knows what you did. And if you were wrong, you will have to pay for it. You may not get in trouble with mom, and you may not get in trouble with dad, but God knows what you did. And it has consequences. They got older, and I'm my oldest daughter, she's 25 now. She came to me and she says, Mom, she says, you did it to me. I said, what? She said, when I was a teenager... Every time I tried to disobey you, and every time I tried to do something I knew was wrong, she says, I could hear you say, I may not know about it, but God does. I said, okay. (laughs) That was the idea. She goes, thank you, Mom. You got me through that. And that's what it's all about. Having kids, that's what it's all about, to grow them up, so that they can go on and be godly men and godly women, right? That's what it's all about. It's our job to prepare them, to make them ready. Uh, Where was I at? Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth to his neighbor. I read that. Be ye angry and sin not. Be, Be ye angry. You mean it's okay if I get mad? Yep. Anger is an emotion we have. You can get mad. But it says don't sin. It says let not the sun go down on your wrath. Now that's another thing I taught my children. God made a time to forgive. He said don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You know what that means? Don't go to bed mad. You know why? You have a spirit. And your spirit is working out for you the desires of your heart. You go to bed angry at your mate and mad at him, your spirit is going to work that anger out towards him. So don't go to bed mad at him. You get that taken care of before you go to bed. You know, I taught that to my children. One day we were driving down the road and mommy was mad. And the kids knew Mommy was mad. And the sun was setting and it was glaring in her eyes and we could hardly see to drive down the road. And my four-year-old daughter says, Mommy, the sun's going down. It's time to forgive. God knows how to humble us. As you said, there's a price to pay to stand up here. (laughs) It just isn't real fun when it's your (laughs) four-year-old. 
I began to cry, and I'm like, yeah, it's time to forgive. And I forgave. When you see a sunset, you deal with the unforgiveness in your heart. You know what the Bible says? If you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. Can you imagine? And I think about this a lot. Can you imagine the people that's going to stand before God and God's going to say, No, I never knew you. No. But God, I had perfect attendance at Sunday school. But God, I was in the music ministry. But God, I prophesied. I spoke in tongues. No. Remember so-and-so that you couldn't forgive? My word says, if you won't forgive, you're not forgiven. we got to forgive. And so God gave us the time every, every evening. And a sunset is so beautiful. I love to see a sunset. And when we have the opportunity, we watch the sun go down a lot. And it's God's reminder, it's time to forgive. Let him that steal, steal no more. But rather, let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give him that needeth. How many of you steal from your mate? Don't answer that. (laughs) We as wives know how to manipulate. Some of us were well-trained in manipulation. But are you stealing from your mate? God said, don't steal. You know, sometimes loving our mate is a labor of love. And we need to love them. You know, your mate is God's child. You are God's child. But he is God's child. And God knows how to take care of his children, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Sometimes we as as women think that it's our job to show him what to do. Because he's wrong. I know he's wrong. No, it's not. We're stepping out from underneath that umbrella of protection. We're getting out of order. And it's not our job. Our job is to pray if we think he's wrong. And say, God, he is your problem. He's your child and you are a big enough God to get through that thick skull. (laughs) And you know what? There'll be a load lift off your back because suddenly what you took on that wasn't yours to have You let go of it. And you know what? As long as you're nagging that man, he puts a wall up of defense that he's not even going to listen to God because, oh, that's just my wife nagging at me. Quit nagging. Remember, he's headlines, your details. He does not want to hear that. Pray. You know, we were taught how to pray, believe, and receive. And we applied that to our finances and our health and our wardrobes. But we didn't apply it to our husbands, did we? But we can. We practiced. We know how to do it. Apply it. It'll work. It will work. Let no corrupt... 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that which may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. We need to do that. We need to do that. You know, we need to be noble women that will forgive. 
Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 8. But now you also put on all the, or put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We need to put off the old man in our lives. We need to put off the old man. Now, in both of those scriptures, there was the word malice. Turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice. Malice is listed three times now. And all guile and hypocrisy and envies and all evil speaking. As newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow up thereby. Now I remember when the Lord was dealing with me about malice. He said, did you notice malice in there? I'm like, oh yeah, I kind of read over it. He goes, look it up. See what it means. So I, like an obedient child, looked up malice. Feeling the need to see others suffer. A desire to harm others or to, to see others suffer. Spiteful, nasty. The quality of being cruel, causing tension, and annoyance and being deliberately mean. Malice. God said, get it out. But I was taught very, very well how to be malicious. My mother, if she didn't get her way, could make the entire household miserable. Now, I didn't realize this because she was my mother. But when I got married, I came, went back home, and one day I was canning with my mother, and she was in one of those childish, irritable moods, and I'd had it up to here because I was like, my mother used to say to us kids, I don't like that attitude, change it. And I was like, Mom, I don't like your attitude, change it or I'm going home. Well, it only made her mad and I ended up going home. And Dad calls me up on the phone and he says, he goes, you know, he says, I've found through the years that it's just better to let your mom have her way than to put up with what you have to pay for later. And God said, See where you got it from? Malice. Because that's what happened in her life. If she thought something needed to be done a certain way and it didn't get done that way, she would make us miserable. And she, I can remember her saying, well, if your father's going to be that way, well, then I'm just going to do this. Malice. God said, That is the old nature. He went on to say that you need to grow up. Malice is childish. But how many of us go to work, go to school, or have friends that use malice? It's rampant in this country. We as gals are so well equipped in doing that. That all of a sudden, whenever, whenever you begin to try to get it out of your life, you'll start noticing it. You'll see it pop up everywhere and you'll go, oh my. But if you grow up, sometimes it hurts to grow up, doesn't it? 
He says, get it out. Lay it aside. Right along with malice, we as women set the tone in our households. Like I said, when mom was in one of those moods, everybody was miserable. Isn't that how it is? That's how it is. Turn back to Genesis chapter 4. God began to show this to me one day. A lady had come. She had come and sat, sat and wanted to talk with the prophet. And the prophet had to give her some correction. And she didn't like it. We usually don't. He may be right, but it still doesn't feel good. I mean, no one likes us thinking, right? <laughs> Mom, you're mean. The next service, she came in. And I looked at her and I'm like, boy, her face, it didn't look, you know, her countenance. And she said all the right things. And she said, well, you know, he was right. And, I, you know, all this. But her face, her face didn't show the glow that's normally there. Her countenance gave her away. She was still mad because of the correction that had came. Genesis chapter 4. Adam, verse 1. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she bare again his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought the firstling of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. But unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. He showed on his face. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou dost well, thou shalt, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou dost not well, sin lieth at the door. Sin lieth at the door. Unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. You know what God's telling him? He says, you received correction. You didn't bring the right offering. And you're mad. You're mad at God. And your countenance fell and sin's lying at the door. But you have power over that sin. And you can rule over it. But you've got to do it. God could not make him do that. He didn't, as we all know. He ended up killing his brother. He ended up being cursed. All because he got mad at God. You know, we as ladies, we don't really like here in America to be told you got to be submissive. Ugh, it's like the S word or something. You know, it's just not what we want to hear. And God says, you got to do what you're told, right? This is good for you. But sometimes we battle that. When, when, uh, when Tom went to India, the gals over there were very submissive to their husbands. And he had the opportunity to talk to one of the ministers we have. He had two daughters that were, were married. And he began to talk to him, and he said, Well, what do you do when your husband makes the wrong decision? And they looked at him and they said, oh, but he never does. He's always right. Now, that's submission, isn't it? Boy, here in America, <laughs> we still have that kind of man, God. <laughs> no, no, we're just not that kind of women. 
we don't understand submission. And those gals understood submission. That story can bring deliverance. He's never wrong. And if he is, it's not our jobs to take care of it. You know, when you, when you went to school, now I don't know how it is now in school, but when I went to school, you never, you know, my first grade teacher, you never went to her and said, you're wrong. There was a respect. The teacher was right. Now, as we got older into high school, that began to change. But you didn't go tell the teacher they were wrong. That's the same thing we should have. We should have a respect for those in authority over us. Because they don't have to answer to us. They have to answer for how they treat us. What are we going to be judged for as women? You know... When it comes to being the head of the household, the man is going to be judged for the decisions that were made in the household, whether they were made by you or him, because he's the authority. He's going to take the stripes for that. But what are we going to be judged for? Whether we were submissive. Turn with me to Titus chapter 4. Keep letting those fingers do the walking, gals. Tom's the prophet, I'm the teacher. <laughs> I like for you to see this in black and white right there in your laps. Titus chapter 2, verse 4. Let's start at verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine that the aged men, aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and patience. And the aged women likewise, that they may be in good behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, and teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. What? Obedient to their own husbands, that the word may not be blasphemed. That's what the older gals are supposed to be teaching the younger gals. You're to love your husband, love your children, be keepers of the home. Now, if you was to stand before God today, gals, how would you make out? You know, sometimes we're so busy judging everybody else in what they are supposed to be doing that we've forgotten what we were supposed to be doing. And we're going to stand before God someday and answer for our lives. We're going to answer for whether we did what we were supposed to do. Sometimes we just multitask too much. We need to just focus in on what really is important in our lives. The Proverbs 31 woman, was she a helpmate? Yes, she was. It says that her husband was known in the gates because she was such a wonderful, noble wife. Was she a homemaker? Yes, she was. And was she a good neighbor? Yes, she was. In fact, sometimes when you read Proverbs 31, you think, That's superwoman. There's no way. (laughs) But if you begin a step at a time and make make those those opportunities, you will become a Proverbs 31 woman. I began way back when I was in my 20s. I got out uh, index cards and I typed out. I didn't have a computer back then. I typed out on the cards. The Proverbs 31, those scriptures about that woman, it took, I think, about three or four cards. And then I went and 
to the amplified version of the Bible, and I typed that out on cards, and I read them every day, and I read them, and I said, God, I'm going to be this. I am going to be this. You know what? One Sabbath, we were sitting at the table, and we had part of the grandkids there. And Tom broke the bread, and he said the blessing over the wine, And he looked at him and he said, Nana Donna is a Proverbs 31 woman. And it just made me want to cry. I finally got there. And it wasn't an easy road. God had to plow deep. And he had to tell me things that I didn't want to hear. But those choices that I made, that God demanded of me, they were the choices that put me where I am today. And the choices that you make in your life are the choices that will put you where you will be tomorrow. You guys made a choice today. Am I going to go and listen to the prophet's wife? Or am I going to stay home and do this and this and this? It really needs to be done. And I'll just come, I'll just come that evening and listen to the prophet. But you made a choice. You decided to come. And I hope you weren't disappointed. Appointed times and places. Times when you're required to make a choice. Eve made a choice. She chose to eat of the fruit that was forbidden. Someone asked me one time, I was telling a story about the gal who refused to be submissive to her husband. And they said, well, couldn't she ask forgiveness and it would be okay? And I said, well, yes, she could ask forgiveness. But she'd have to change. But like I said, the damage, the damage is there. Eve could ask forgiveness, but the damage was there. I can imagine after they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and all of a sudden you couldn't just go out and pick the fruit for supper, but you had to labor and weed. I imagine there were several times that she and Adam both thought, Well, I wish we could just seek forgiveness and get back in that garden. They made a choice, and they chose badly. Lot's wife, on the way out of Sodom and Gomorrah, she was told, don't look back. Now, how long does it take to look back? Split second. And I understand moving. Believe me, I understand moving. There was a time in my life I moved every two to three years. So I hated to even look at a U-Haul truck. (laughs) But it's hard to move. It's hard to give up where you've been. And it's hard to see all your belongings in that orange and white truck and think, you know, if if that truck would roll over, everything I own is in there. But you know what I learned? There's a new adventure coming around the corner. Hey, thank you again so much. That's Donna Deckard, Mount Carmel, Illinois, Cradle of Hope Ministries. Again, you can get more information out at the website, www.jewishprofit.com. Get out there, do yourself a favor, find out what's going on here, and you won't be disappointed. So, again, you can also get more. Uh, all the tape series is out there on the website for you to get a hold of. I greatly encourage you to get all that. You can also email your prayer request to cradle at jewishprofit.com, and we'll be praying for your prayer request. Again, that's cradle at jewishprofit.com. Shalom. Until next week, remember, with God, all things are possible.